hello and welcome to the On The Whistle podcast. My name is Alistair Howarth, co-host of the podcast, and today in our preview series, we are looking towards the north of the continent to Algeria, who have high hopes after winning the competition in 2019, failing so spectacularly in 2021. But are, can they get redemption in 2023? Can Jamal Belmadi get redemption in 2023 after two so difficult years? Joining us to analyze their chances at this AFCON is fan favorite Maher Mazahi, the Algerian super journalist, rings in from Algiers to discuss whether this team has it in them to go all the way. Maher, we're looking at an Algeria team, 11 games undefeated, haven't lost a match in over a year, only five defeats, I think, in the past five years. Everything looks looks so rosy coming into an AFCON, but something something fills me with a, a little bit of dread for Algeria because I feel like we had the exact same conversation coming into the last AFCON. I think at that time it was, uh, you know, almost thirty games unbeaten or whatever that record they were chasing of of going, and they just needed one more one more undefeated game, and then it all became unstuck. You know, what what is the mood in Algeria? How are things looking? Because I'm seeing a good team, I'm seeing confidence. But after last AFCON, I don't trust Algeria anymore. No, I think you're right to bring it up. Um, almost exactly two years ago, we were riding on the highest of highs. Um, we had gone on a run of, I want to say, uh, since 2018, 2000, almost three years undefeated. Uh, we were about to set a new world record for ma unbeaten matches um, that actually Argentina ended up setting um, and then lost, I think, the first time they, they broke. It was Italy. Uh, on their run, I think, uh, immediately after the Euros, and then Algeria, and then I think Algeria just didn't didn't get to Italy, but just about, and then uh, Argentina overtook them, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so they're on a great run, defending champions, um, and everything was like, we need to have a great performance at the World Cup. Um, Jamal Belmadi coached in Qatar. We had a lot of players playing in Qatar. It was the first, quote-unquote, Arab World Cup. Pretty much what you see, the World Cup that Morocco had, that's what Algeria was really hoping for, that they were hoping to do that. And they thought that they were good enough to do it, really. Um, and we head into that AFCON in a group which is not easy, but Algeria is expected to come out of that group. You have Equatorial Guinea, Sierra Leone, and Ivory Coast. And uh, yeah, first match draw with Sierra Leone, second match lose to Equatorial Guinea 1-0, and the streak is broken. And then the third match thoroughly beaten by by Ivory Coast and you start saying okay oh maybe it was just a bad AFCON these things happen you know maybe I don't know the water wasn't good in Douala maybe something happened but then we go into FIFA World Cup qualifying we beat Cameroon in Cameroon which hadn't been done for like 30 years so you start feeling confident again and then you lose at home for the first time ever in a competitive match at that stadium uh Stade Mustafa Chakir and Blida which is again a record that stood for over uh since 2004 so almost 20 years and that really was a blow to the gut. Like for the entire country, I think we're still feeling the ramifications of it today. Um, that World Cup was everything for the coach, for that group of players. And for it to come to a screeching halt in the last second, for those that didn't see it, Carl Tokoikambi scores in the last second. Yeah, it was just really, really tough. And, but like, and, not just the last second was a hundred and twenty plus four. Like, not mm -hmm. last second of ninety. Last kick. Last second of not last second one hundred and twenty. Last second one hundred twenty four. Last kick. Like, yeah. Sorry. I was putting on my clothes and getting ready because I was gonna, 
I was going to run to downtown Algiers and start filming because I know there was going to be huge celebrations. And as, as I was putting on my jacket, that ball went in and I just, everybody was like, I could hear people like screaming in the neighborhood that I live in. Like, yeah, it was rough. But anyways, the, there's that from the 2019 to the 2022, that run that we had was pretty much with the same generation. And that was on one hand, a source of strength for Bill Muddy because he knew the players and they knew him and they had built some kind of repertoire together, uh, rapport. But at the same time, that was also a source of criticism because people kept saying, this team is too old. This team is too old. This team is too old. Uh, we can't keep playing. They, they, I'll give you some of the names. They said like the goalkeeper, Rice and Bolhi, uh, the central defensive midfielder, Adlan Gediora, the defend, another defender, Jamal Belamri. Even, even, Players like Riyad Mahrez get, get some of the criticism as well. People saying, you know, it's just like, it feels complacent. It's not as fresh as it was before. And uh, and he continued. He insisted with that group. Didn't qualify for the World Cup. And now, after the World Cup, he had to make a decision. Do I leave or do I stay on? He ends up staying on, signs a new contract until 2026. And really starting to make a change now. We, we have a lot of turnover. And he's starting to bring in a lot of young players. So the three main young, bright players that he's brought in are the left back from Wolves, Ren Aitnuri, uh, the left winger slash striker for Ren, Amin Guiri, and uh, Roma's midfielder, Hussam Awar, uh, once uh, Arsenal uh, transfer uh, <laughs> target. So so really now it's all about can we, uh, and sorry for droning on and on, but it's pretty much can we blood these players in and can we get, can we be clicking like we were uh, just in time for the AFCON. But up to now, it doesn't really feel like we're hitting that that level yet. There's talented players, but in terms of chemistry, in terms of the way the style of play and everything is going, it doesn't quite feel like we're there yet. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about Belmadi because obviously, obviously, like you said, it, everything was building up to this Qatar World Cup, you know, and he was, and he also feels like a bit of a, I don't know, the first of this new movement and generation of, of local managers who have experience abroad, but have brought it back to their country and have seen incredible success. And, you know, we've seen, you know, the, the likes of Cisse and Regragi following up. And, and suddenly, you know, we're at this AFCON that is dominated by African coaches for the first time. There's not that kind of same European influence. And the Europeans that are at this AFCON are the likes who've, you know, been there and done that across the continent. Your Veludes, you know, Tom Samfiet, the Sabra at Congo and, and you know, Balmari was at the forefront of this and everything building up to Qatar, you know, was uh, so much about the, of this Algeria team was about him and what he had done, you know, has that weight of that loss, is that still, you know, carrying with him? Is he still the kind of have the same presence that he did when you won back in 2019 or have those years and, you know, the weight of that horrific failure of those, those couple months, weighed him down and how is he coping how coping with that it's a good question look if you ask him if he's still feeling the hurt of that elimination i almost guarantee you he's going to say he still feels it inside um that world cup was everything to him has it changed him like i said he's he's made different choices now in terms of player selection so i think he understood that there's got to be fresh blood maybe that was always his plan but that that elimination was the catalyzer for that He's still playing the same system in terms of it's all it's still a 4-3-3 as it's been since he came in 2018 uh, with like one number six and two eights. 
similar kind of pressing, a uh, similar kind of build-up play. So I don't see a real change in his philosophy of play. It's not like he brought in a new system that he wants to experiment with. Um, what I think some people might say is that he seems more irritable on the touchline. Um, this actually started around the AFCON, and a lot of, I remember a lot of people being shocked, like, why is he so angry and yelling at the refs and yelling at the players? And he was always a hothead, even as a player. I mean, uh, he, there was a, a story when he was playing for Olympique de Marseille where he, I th think he threw his, he took off his boot and he threw his boot at some Marseille supporters or something that were insulting him. So he was always a hothead, always like ready to fight. And yeah, um, that part is not new. But it does seem like he's a touch more impatient, irritable, um, bitter almost uh, in terms of his personality. That's my impression. I think that's the impression of other people that are watching from a distance. But other than that, I don't really see uh, too much too much of a change. And I think that's that, that's credit to him, you know, because the weight of expectation. I think it's we can easily be quite critical of particularly international managers, particularly elite international managers, but the weight of expectation of a nation does, does get to you. And you see that with other ones, you know, you know, good example being Gareth Southgate or Joachim Love, who kind of, when they come in, they're fresh, they're young, they're exciting. And by, you know, the end, it's obviously not the end for Southgate. There's suddenly, there is a bit more bite to them. There is a bit more kind of worn down. And, and I think, like you said, that key decision of Belmadi to stay, you know, is, you know, we'll, I mean, we'll see if it's a, if it's the right decision ultimately in, in the next month or two, but is a huge, huge decision on uh, by him. And, and like you say, it's the, what is the key thing, you know, we, a lot of the interviews we've done and the talking we've done ahead of this AFCON is there's a real sense of in international football, it's all about cycles, right? It's all about getting a group of players, you know, as much as fans, we want to see the best players picked every time. It's not, it's about getting a group of players. It's about having that cycle. And, you know, that's what Algeria had. You had one, you know, one of the most successful cycles in, in your nation's history. And even I was going through the list of, you know, top caps for Algeria. And you're like half of the top 10 are all guys who are still playing with the national team and have been a part of this cycle, this team. Um, but I, I guess I want to ask is, yeah, I get kind of you touched on it, but is there enough time to, to move on? Because whilst whilst like, we do see, you know, the likes of Raisimboli and Guadera, these guys moved on. We're still seeing, you know, with a couple games in the World Cup qualifiers, Islam Slimani and, you know, Baghdad Buneja still playing and still playing big roles when I guess there would be, you know, more of a call for some of these younger guys to really take charge. And, and we saw particularly that game against Mozambique, you know, Chaibi, Guiri, there is the talent there and it does look like they could be the next superstars. You know, how is that transition going? Yeah, that's that's really the key question, I think, of this preview. Um, and and we talked about Mboli and Gidiora. They actually might still be called up. There's there's serious rumors in Algeria right now that they might be called up as like a sort of last second, I swear to you, Raiz and Mboli, they're both playing for Sierra Belouizdad in the African Champions League. They both started away to Al-Ahli uh, last week and they got a good result and nil-nil over there. And they both played actually pretty well. And so uh, there's a lot of murmurs, credible murmurs and rumblings from journalists that at least Raiz and Mboli is going to be selected, even if not as a starting goalkeeper, but maybe as a, as a backup option. So... Um, goes back to your question. I mean, Islam Slimani, Baghdad Bounijah, Riyad Mahrez, uh, Adlan Guerriora, uh, even some of the defenders, Issa Mondi. There's a lot of older players in this squad. Um, 
I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And I actually think I admire this about Jamal Dulmari is that he says, I don't look at ages. I don't look at um, clubs. I look at like the performance of the player at the moment. Can he perform? And that's paid off dividends in the past. If you look at one of the, the wingers, Youssef Beleli, um, and his success at the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations, he was just opposite Riyad Mahrez on the other wing. And he was so, so good. And at the time... He was just playing, I, th- I believe, in Tunisia at the time, or maybe in Saudi Arabia, and uh, and he he was the best winger out there. And Belmadi didn't care about which club he played for. He didn't play Saeed Ben Rama, although he could have at the time, who was, I believe, at Brentford, killing it in the championship. He picked Belayli and he started him. And to his credit, I think that was the right decision. So Belmadi is not going to care about how old the player is or or what club they play at. I just the the, the reason why he was receiving that criticism before the World Cup is. People were saying, as you mentioned, there's cycles, you know, and people were saying, you know, the, the sooner you start that turnover, the quicker we can have that cycle, the more time we're going to have to find that chemistry in time for the African Cup of Nations, you know. So it needed to really be start immediately after the World Cup and he sort of dilly-dallied a bit. Not always his fault. Sometimes the players, you know, don't want to come immediately. Uh, they, they can drag their feet a little bit. Um, so at the moment, what I can tell you is that over the last few matches, uh, really, over the last year of calendar football, as you mentioned, Algeria hasn't, I don't believe they've lost a match in the calendar year of 2023. Uh, they're on a pretty good streak at the moment. However, the football that they're playing, they monopolize possession, they hold on to the ball. It's very horizontal. It's not very dangerous. You never feel like Algeria is producing a number of serious goal scoring chances in quick succession. Um, it's very, and I understand that sometimes, especially if you play against, you know, like a Somalia or like a, they're obviously going to, going to try to absorb that pressure and play with the low block. And it's difficult to manufacture a lot of chances, but at their Zenith, Algeria were, were, were playing with that kind of rhythm and we're scoring six goals against Zambia and you know seven goals against Tanzania. And so we're not there. We're not there. We're simply not there. And that's why people feel a little bit reticent, uh, for this African cup of nations, it's not clicking. It's it's very horizontal. It's um, and there's a few weaknesses defensively in central defense and uh, the number six defensive midfielder. Um, we haven't really found a solution there. There are players who are decent players, but for some reason, when they're put together, or or when there's a new midfield combination, it never seems to work out as as well as we want it to. So those are the real question marks ahead of this uh, this Afghan. Mm, yeah, I think that's that's exactly what I th- think when I both seeing them at the AFCON, but then since and, and I would almost criticize Morocco for the same thing recently is there's no penetration and it really struggled to get that kind of between the lines. And, and like you say, you know, you have the midfielders now to, to do that, you know, especially look at Ahuar and players like that, where there there is the quality there. It's just kind of not clicking. And I guess, you know, we can then have a look, I guess, at your group because, you know, you're going to experience the exact same thing you had at the last AFCON and what we've been struggling with in the World Cup qualifiers where, you know, Angola, Algeria, um, Burkina Faso, and Mauritania, you're going to be up against low box. I mean, Angola, I think the last three games have all been nil-nil and the one before that was a one-nil. You know, this is not an adventurous team. This is not a team that's going to come out of Algeria. They're going to be a low block. Mauritania, you know, very similar under Amir Abdu's, very good at setting up kind of defensive low block. And Burkina Faso, obviously, we know in terms of the counter-attacking talent they have. You know, how do you feel going into this tournament that Algeria can actually kind of make it through this group chain? Because, like, I my sense of that is that actually 
when you come up against the bigger teams, when there is a bit of space and transition, you will, we will see the talent come through, but it's that kind of breaking down those low blocks, which kind of has been getting you in trouble. How do you feel that's going to go at, at the AFCON? It's a good question. I mean, when they've come up against, uh, for example, Egypt in a recent friendly, it was 1-1. I thought that was an interesting match because you had Egypt, for me, are, are really playing really good football at the moment with Rui Vittoria. I mean, there seems to be like a level of cohesion that's not at, in Alge with the Algerian national team at the moment, even their, their front line. I mean, they're really, really informed. Um, and that was a good match. And I thought it was fairly even, you know. And so, as you mentioned, like maybe they play up to the level of opposition and maybe down to the level of opposition as well. But taking a look at the at the group stage, Burkina Faso always plays us tough for some reason, you know. Um, the, the African continent has a way of doing that. For some reason, they always pair, you know, like like Tunisia. Are the, Tunisia and Mali's group? I believe they are, yeah. Tunisia, Tunisia and Mali, Mali yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the one. <laughs> So, so yeah, it's, I don't know if that's just the luck of the draw or what, but Burkina Faso always, we've, we've really drawn them over the last 10 years since the 2014 World Cup qualifying. Uh, we've drawn them a lot of times and they've always played us very, very tough. We tend to get the better of them, but it usually comes down to a goal or two. And I really like the, this Burkina Faso side. Um, people tend to forget that they made it to the semifinals, if I'm not mistaken, two out of the last three AFCONs. Uh, am I wrong about that? I, I hope I'm not wrong about that. But and if you go back to 2013, three in the three in the last decade. Yeah, because they were yeah they they won third place in 2017 and then yeah for semifinals 2021. But they they uh, they, they missed it in Egypt. That was the one one. They lost to Senegal uh, in 2021 and then in 2017 they lost to I believe Cameroon, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, t by the way, the two sides that end up being champions in each of those tournaments. Um, they have really good players. You know, we don't, I don't need to tell you about Tapso, but I don't need to tell you about, you know, the experience of somebody like a Bertrand Traore, a lot of young legs and like Isa Kabore, even like a midfielder like Gustavo Sangare. Just, I love watching him play. He's, he's one of those guys where I said like, don't pay attention to the club he plays for, watch him when he plays football. And when he plays with Burkina Faso, he's just really, really good in midfield. So, so I'm expecting like a draw or maybe, maybe, uh, a, a close win against Burkina Faso. And then, as you mentioned, Mauritania, for me, even before Amir Abdu, even when there was Corentin Martens as a coach, I think they're always sort of embraced that low block and they have, you know, very big defenders and, and they try to hit you on the set pieces. I Again, if, if they can't beat Mauritania, then yeah, you don't deserve to do anything really at the AFCON. That's with all due respect to Mauritania. But if Algeria is really looking to achieve their objectives, they should be able to beat Mauritania. And Angola is one where I, I I always think, are they a dark horse? Are they not a dark horse? They have pockets of talent here and there. But I, it just seems like, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, they have some players with some experience, like a Show or Harry Nielsen or a few here and there. But it seems like maybe some of their best players usually, or let me rephrase that. Some of their new players that they've recruited recently uh are don't have experience playing on the African continent. And then some of the very talented youngsters like Zito Lovumbu or like, uh, I don't know, they also really don't have experience playing in these tournaments. And so it feels like I don't, I don't really think Angola is experienced in playing at AFCON. So I'm, I'm really hesitant to label them as dark horses. I think they're going to, they're going to probably fail to get out of the group stages. So I do think Algeria and Burkina Faso will get out um, and Mauritania and Angola will crash out. Yeah, I, th I think that's fair. And, and, but I guess, yeah, I, w I wanted to ask specifically about 
you know, and so I feel like this hasn't been really talked about, you know, talking about someone like Mahrez. And I think Algeria is an interesting country to talk about this in the perspective, because for a long time, you've always had a lot of your core players playing in the Arab world, in Qatar, in, in Saudi Arabia, in UAE, wherever, even in North Africa. I, I want to ask kind of how do you think that players like Mahrez or Mane playing in Saudi is going to affect you know, and particularly for Algeria, affect their performance? Because obviously they're, they're out of the limelight in Europe and they haven't been playing the elite kind of week in, week out football in the Premier League, Champions League, whatever. But that also means that they're going to come into the tournament probably more well-rested than they've they've ever come into a, an AFCON, you know, maybe with the exception of 2019 when it was in the, in the summer, so there was more of a break. But, you know, how do you think that that, that is going to impact, you know, the, the teams, not Algeria, but also, I guess, some of the others? No, it's an interesting question. Even think about uh, the stress of being Riyad Mahrez playing at Manchester City, trying to hold down that right wing spot position, hoping, you know, like that when if you're away for a month during AFCON, maybe Bernardo Silva, maybe Phil Foden, maybe someone else is going to take your place, you know. And now you don't have to worry about that at the Saudi, Saudi League that's going to stop pretty much for the duration of the AFCON. Um, and so you're, you're really relaxed. And is that going to have an effect on your performance? Personally, I, I'm one of the, like, I don't think we can quantify it. Like, I think anybody's speculating, really. Um, and there are so many personal factors in each of these players' lives that probably have an effect on performance that we, we're not really privy to, <coughs> excuse me, as exterior journalists. Personally, I I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. I, like I said, Yusuf Belayli in previous AFCON has played, you know, I think he was playing in Saudi, Rice and Bodhi was playing in Saudi. Uh, Jamal Ben Amri during the last uh, Afghan was also playing in Saudi in 2019. So, and and they end up playing to again to the level of the competition. Um, I, again, I'm just not con- I'm not worried about that at all. On the contrary, like you mentioned, I think them not having to be stressed about their club needing them back, um, them maybe being excited about this kind of competition, which I think maybe they're. N- because the Saudi league is kind of like, it's like a, it's like a slow roll. You know, it's like, there's not, I mean, at a club like Mahrez's, uh, I think they have, there's a lot of pressure at a club like Mahrez's. But other than that, usually there's not as much pressure, you know, as like when you play with Manchester City and you can't even lose one match. Um, whereas now AFCON is like, you know, so maybe they could be, they're, they're relaxed, AFCON comes and now they can, you know, it's time to, to step it up. I think maybe that bodes better for, for a player's performance than, uh, again, the constant stress of stressing throughout the year for competitions, you know, FA Cup, Champions League, etc. So I'm not expecting much of a, a drop off at all. Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly how I, I feel about it, because, you know, even if, if you give an elite athlete, you know, six months where they might not be regularly playing at the same elite level but on the flip side they have time to actually recover between matches and again let's not approach it with the, the kind of arrogance that there is a huge gap between saudi and europe yeah there's a gap but I, this is still kind of elite level football you know particularly you know obviously not matters at al athlete but you know al hilal aliti had these teams playing in the afc champions league as well you know it's high high standard um let me also say this just very quickly on that last point Sometimes I think it, players can perform better with their national teams when they go to a, a weaker league, quote unquote, because a lot of times, like especially a player like Yassin Brahimi, what I noticed was he would go to Qatar, he would perform super well because the league was easier for him. And that really boosted his confidence. And he's a confidence player, you know, a player that really relies on confidence. And there are some, like especially strikers, you know, like 
if they're in good form, then they're going to carry that with them wherever they go, you know? Whereas if they're really battling for a place and they haven't scored in 10 Premier League matches and then they're talking about them on talk sport and that can kill a player's confidence and they come with the national team and they don't perform as well either. So I think sometimes, even if you're like, you play in the Saudi or you play in Qatar and you're you're playing really, really well because the overall level of the league, of, overall level of the league is weaker, that can boost your confidence and you can carry that with you to your national team as well. Absolutely. And and one of the things, you know, there's a quote I love that I think it's actually, I mean, it's from rugby, so I don't know if I should be talking about it on this podcast, but it's Razi Erasmus, obviously he's legendary, you know, head coach of South Africa, kind of mad genius. And one of the things he says is when you're, you know, putting together a national team is not about the best players, but it's about the right players. And I think that's spot on. And, and I think the AFCON more than any other competition, you see that. I mean, the best example that I can think of is Equatorial Guinea, which is, you know, one of the smallest nations on the continent. But every time they've been to the AFCON, they've gotten to the quarterfinals, uh, bar once when they got to the round of 16, at least. But their entire team is playing in the second and third division of Spain. You know, Emilio Nsue, third division of Spain, he scores two goals in World Cup qualifiers and Equatorial Guinea are, are top, of the, top of the group. So I think, I think it's spot on. Like, I think we can't, it would be so naive and arrogant to just look at what league you're in to, to kind of quantify how good a player is. And my, the, the other thing I want to talk about um, for you as an Algerian coming into this is this AFCON is in Ivory Coast, south of the Sahara. You know, traditionally that has been a challenge for, for the North African side, bar, bar Egypt, we'll leave them out of this. How do you think that will impact not just Algeria, but also the rest of, you know, the competition? Because we're coming into, you know, I was looking at my weather app the other, uh, you know, last night and it is hot, it is humid, you know, it is going to be a sticky AFCON. You know, how, how, do, how do you think that's going to impact, you know, some of, some of the big North African teams like Algeria? Again, here's another point where I think maybe coming from a place like Saudi Arabia might help because I think the weather is more similar. Like right now in Algeria, it's not, it's not cold, but it, at night it can get chilly, it can get windy, you know. Um, whereas in, in the Middle East, that place is very still very, can be hot and humid even at night at times. Um, and so there's another place where I think, you know, it could be an advantage maybe playing, um, in Saudi or in Qatar or something like that. But yeah, that's that's a statistic that's always trotted out. And I don't know how much importance to give it, honestly. I, I don't know. I'm not saying like I, I shouldn't give it importance. I don't know. I should. I don't know. Um, part of me says there has to be a reason why, right? There has to be a reason why. Um, the other part of me says, I mean, nowadays, you know, when everything's sort of standardized, pitches are standardized, hotel standards are, are more or less, you know, uh, okay, um, teams are flying in their chefs for food and everything. Part of me says, like, that's no longer as much of a factor maybe as it was in the 70s, 80s, 90s, even into the 2000s. Um, but yeah, honestly, I, I really don't know how to answer that. I, I think in general, proximity tends to bode well because you're, again, more familiar with the climate, your supporters can make it over, uh, all of that. But I'm not going to say that it's impossible for a, a team from the Maghreb to, to win this competition, not at all. Especially when I think Morocco and to a lesser extent Algeria and Tunisia are, are looking, uh, I mean, are probably some of the favorites um, going into this tournament. Absolutely. It's always so hard with so many, especially with, you know, big international tournaments because there just isn't that much, like, data in terms of coming up with the stats. And there's it's not just, just not enough big enough sample size. Um, Exactly. And again, it's, I think, I think in Africa, 
you know, mainly because of the kind of colonial histories, there's always a far bigger temptation to generalize regions um, and, and talk about kind of certain areas being like others. But, you know, say, you know, in AFCON in South Africa, Angola is, you know, completely different kind of climate wise, culture wise than, than one in kind of Ivory Coast or Ghana or Nigeria. Um, Maher, you know, we've talked a lot about the struggles that Algeria faced, you know, how they might over, overcome them. For you coming into this tournament, what are the expectations? Because we have, you know, probably a heavy favorite in Morocco, whether they should be or not, because of that World Cup performance, they will be seen as the big, the big dogs. Senegal have been toe to toe with them. Senegal cleaning up every African competition, every single age group and look kind of imperious in many ways. And then you've got your home side, you know, Cote d'Ivoire, and you've got some other big big hitters like Egypt hitting form and you can never rule out Egypt, you know, one of the worst Egyptian sides we've ever seen got to the final last time. So what is the expectation in Algeria and what, what do you think would be a successful AFCON? A successful AFCON for Algeria would be um, a semi-final berth. I think even a quarterfinal elimination might be seen as uh, disappointing. Uh, Again, depends who you lose to usually and depends how you lost. But even a quarterfinal loss could be seen as a little bit disappointing. Um, what am I expecting? Honestly, the, again, when it comes to predicting with the Algerian national team as well, it's kind of bizarre because prior to the 2019 African Cup of Nations, very, very few of us were were confident that we were going to win the tournament. And then the team that showed up over there, it was like it clicked really in the last 10 days of, of training camp and of preparation. So anything can happen. Uh, in terms of teams gelling. But from what I've seen really over the last six months on that sample size, I think there are too many problems in terms of defending set pieces, in terms of uh, central defender pairing, and in terms of that number six defensive midfielder playing in front of the defensive line. Again, maybe they drilled the set piece defending because Belmadi brought it up during the post-match press conference recently. Maybe Ismail Benasser comes back from his knee injury and he plays the number six role, which he says he can play and he'd like to play, and he can shore that up, that problem. He can shore that problem up for us, you know. So there are there are potential possible solutions for us there, um, but over the last six months to one year, I've seen real major problems that if they are not resolved, I don't see us getting to the semifinals. Maher, thank thanks so much as always for coming on the pod. We always have to end though these conversations with with a quick fire round of, of predictions and and questions and i'm not gonna let you get away with any so-and-so answers as some of some of our journalists have tried to get away with so i think first off we're going to ask you coming into this tournament who is algeria's most important player coming into the afcon algeria's most important player coming into the afcon is riyad mahrez if he plays up to his ability it's going to make a real difference we saw that when games are tight uh, he can, 2019 AFCON, think about that. Yeah, think about that free kick against Nigeria at, in 2019. Only Riyad Mahrez can do something like that on the Algerian national team. So uh, he's, he's for me, he's the player. Sorry, I know this is rapid fire. I'm going to make it quicker. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. On the whistle, we say it's rapid fire. Nothing's ever rapid fire. <laughs> all right. And who, who coming into the tournament is the one youngster that you think we should all be watching out for? Ferris Saibi from Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, I liken him a little bit to kind of like a Frank Lampard. Um, he is from the exact same neighborhood as Karim Benzema in Lyon. Um, he 
was really, really good at Toulouse. He won League One Player of the Year last year in France. Makes the move to Eintracht Frankfurt. And the thing that impresses me the most about him is he really makes bad decisions. He's not flashy. He's not going to jump out on your screen. But he'll make the right pass when it's time to make that pass. If he's going to take a shot on goal, he's going to hit the target. He's not going to blast it over or miss, miss the target from, you know, 15 yards wide or anything like that. That's what I like the most about Ferris Shabby. His decision-making, his fundamentals are sound. Um, he's the kind of player that makes the team better. And that's why I think he's a player that you should watch closely. And the closer you watch him, the more appreciation you have for him. And how far are Algeria going to get? I want to hear a prediction. How far are they going to get at this tournament? I said they wouldn't make the semifinal. I think they're, they'll be eliminated either uh, either in the quarterfinal or the semifinal. Um, I'll say semifinal. Semifinal, they lose to... Uh, Maybe Senegal finally gets one over Algeria. I think we beat them in the last six matches or so, but maybe Senegal finally get one over Algeria. Okay, and if if Algeria don't win, don't don't win that semi final. If they get knocked out, who is going to win? Who is your prediction for who's going to win the Afcon twenty twenty three? My favorites are Morocco, Senegal, Egypt, um, and Ivory Coast. I think I have for some reason I have a feeling Mohamed Salah is going to get his Afcon. And Egypt is going to win their ninth Cup of Nations. Finally get his hands on the AFCON. Bless him. He's he's definitely put in the work for it. And if if Egypt are going to win the tournament, who is going to be the top scorer? Top scorer of this upcoming tournament is going to be Victor Osimhen in his first AFCON. Uh, I think this first six months of the year have been a little bit difficult for him with Napoli, with everything that's gone on off the field, with the, their club being weird. But... I think he's going to be hyper-motivated to to play well at this Cup of Nations. It's his first tournament. I think he's going to I think he's going to knock in a few goals. Victor Ozyman, uh, the, the very much the, the the big answer at the moment. Is that the most popular, yeah? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I've I've only heard a couple others that aren't him. And you you, you know it's so hard to argue against him because you know no matter, even with Nigeria being the basket case they are 10 goals in qualification like in 6 games is ludicrous in terms of his actual output all right so victor ozyman is going to be top scorer who is going to get player of the tournament if egypt win it has to be i want to say Mohamed salah but i'm going to put a 1b here my 1b is going to be Mohamed abdel munim their star defender uh from el ahli as well who obviously was the massive kind of breakout star for, for the Egyptian team. I mean, I guess alongside Gabaski, but Abdulmanam was definitely the, the big breakout and has been one of the you know best defenders on the continent since then. Ma- uh, Maher, thank you so much. As always, it is wonderful getting your insight, your expertise. Can I throw uh, one and, more in there? Your stories. Oh, uh, yeah, go on. I'll always take another one. <laughs> Young player of the year is either going to be uh, Karim Konate, who plays as a second striker for the Ivory Coast. I think he's only 18. Kutuma playing for Red mm-hmm. Bull Salzburg, or 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 uh, one of the Senegalese young youngsters in Lamine the field, or, or, Amara. or Lamine Kamara, one of those two. Yeah, let me, yeah. That, that, that. No, not Amara. Pat Matarsar or Lamine Kamara. I don't think Amara is going to get that much time. Fair enough. Maher, thank you so much. As always, it's brilliant to have you on. Love it. <laughs>